0: The Lord says you're getting closer and closer to a major breakthrough in the Spirit. You have labored, you have travailed, and you have pressed forward. And I want you to know you're getting close. You need to continue doing these things. And in many cases, intensify and increase what you're doing because you are headed toward a major breakthrough in the realm of the Spirit. Know this, that I indeed am keeping my word to you, my promise that I am working in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. And the more that you press into me, my good pleasure becomes your good pleasure. I beseech you to continue, continue Pressing into me. Some of you are further along than others. And for those of you that have not been as diligent to these things. I encourage you. There is so much of my glory that is waiting for you. A level of my presence you've never experienced. But it is waiting for you. So continue. Continue. Continue in these things as you do, your life will begin to change, and you will begin to seek me with more intensity than you have in the past, and it will not require as much effort as what you now think. My son, Jesus, he did not think it strange to spend hours with me in my presence and fellowshipping with me. That's because he had lost an interest in so much of what the world has to offer. The same is true for you. If you will continue pressing into me, your perspectives in this life will change. And that which you thought would be too difficult in your walk with me you will find to be very, very easy. Do not give up. Do not become weary. Continue pressing into me, for you are getting closer and closer to a major breakthrough in the Spirit, says the Lord. I want you to take a quick look around here in the sanctuary. I want you to notice, people are missing. Whenever people are gone, there's always uh, a reason. In many cases, the reasons are legitimate. In many cases, they're excuses. And they are not really justified. I am not casting stones. But what I'm saying is, well, I guess it's a reminder, we're in a war, a spiritual war. And I understand that there are some folks that um, there's been a, a tremendous amount of yielding to other things. Call it distractions if you want. But, just like with Gideon's army, there are those who are going to engage the enemy and win. The battle is ours. What we do with the victory is up to us, because the victory has been given to us. Now, before we go any further here, and you can be turning over to 2 um, Chronicles chapter 5. And as you're turning to Second Chronicles chapter 5, um, pay really close attention to what I'm saying here. In the body of Christ, many times we hear people talk about so-and-so is, um, well, they're dealing with a spirit of something, whatever that would be. You know that, that person has well, they got a spirit of meanness, or well, one that's really popular. Is um, you know a spirit of Jezebel, and so on, and and you, there's, you know a spirit of this and a spirit of that. Well, it seems like that many Christians greatly misunderstand and misuse that phrase, a spirit of. Because not everybody who's dealing with a spirit of whatever, it's not always a demon. And yet when people talk about a spirit of, they've come to the place of believing that whenever they say that, what, it's like what they're saying is this person is entertaining a demon, or entertaining a devil, or you know, inhabited by a devil or whatever the case would be. And sadly that's not always the case. Because that phrase, you know, a spirit of more often than not it's speaking of an attitude. An attitude. You see, you don't have to be impacted by a demon to act on the things of the flesh. You just don't. And one of the greatest struggles for believers is dealing with the flesh. And and too many times Christians want to interpret that phrase, you know, the flesh, to speak of sin. But it's not always talking about sin. It can talk about just things in life. You know, Like when Jesus was talking about, um, so or so is the word, and when the word is sown, you know, Satan comes immediately, but then it talks about, you know, the, the things of life. They choke the word. Well, that's the things of life. That's not a demon, it's the things of life. So, this phrase, a spirit of, please keep in mind, it's not always talking about a specific demon it very often is speaking of an attitude. Okay, now, you want to hold that thought, and let's take a look here in Second Chronicles chapter 5. Now what's happened is Solomon has built the temple. And what they're doing is they're bringing in the uh, Ark of the Covenant into the, the holy place there in the temple. And Second Chronicles chapter 5, pick it up in verse 11. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were singers, all of them, of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding the trumpet. And it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. One of the saddest things that's happened in the body of Christ is that we read passages like this, and when we do, it's as though they are just literary examples of something. In other words, it's just it's a story. But in reality, this is living. And what I mean is, these people were not filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't even born again. And yet, they began to praise and they began to worship the Lord. And when they did, the glory of God filled the place where they were. Very important. Filled the place where they were. The glory of God did not Fill another country. The glory of God filled where they were when they began to praise and worship God. And so we read that and we think, okay, that's a great Old Testament story. Man, that's really neat. Almost wish I, I kind of wish it'd be neat to be there. And we fail to understand that now that we're born again, and even those who are born again are filled with the Holy Spirit, do you not understand and realize? that the presence of God which filled that place will fill the place where believers are gathered if they praise and worship the Lord. And, now listen, it will happen with greater intensity now than what it did then because we're born again. Now, I'm not saying that there will literally be a glory cloud of God fill the place. But what I am saying is, there could be a literal glory cloud of God fill the place. Meaning, we're not going to just keep worshiping, lifting our hands and singing a bunch of songs and then be looking around for a glory cloud. But, we're just going to be worshiping God. And if there's a glory cloud, there is. But, To think that God will not honor our worship the way he honored theirs is a grave mistake. Because he will. The difference is that we're now the kings and priests unto God. We're supposed to be doing this the way they did. And it talks about how that In verse 13, the trumpeters, just say the musicians and the singers, were as one, making one sound. That symbolizes unity. Now, it's very possible that out of all the people that were there that day, some of them may not have really been in the mood. But they did it anyway. They made a decision that they were going to go past that mood And do this. I'd rather be home doing this. I'd rather be back at my tent doing that. Whatever the case would be. I don't know. But Solomon the king said, This is what needs to be done. Who's our king? Jesus. Is there anything in scripture where God has indicated... We should be worshiping Him? Yeah. So therefore, worship unto God. If we're going to be His disciples, worship is not an option. It is a command. You've got to accept this. You've got to understand this. Because in the body of Christ, praise and worship generally has been when you feel like it, if you want to, and you do it the way that your denomination or your church defines it. Well, I have news for you. The Bible gives us the definition of what is acceptable before God when it comes to praise and worship. This is the way it's supposed to be done. We have people, over the years, we've had people who have left this church because they didn't like the way the praise and worship was being done. One person left the church many years ago, One person left and said, you people don't know how to worship God. And what that person meant was, you don't get people so stirred up they start running the aisles. That's To that person, that's what you're supposed to do every time you come together. That's not what happened here. Now I'm not saying that you never have a time when, man, I mean, just there's an excitement. I get that. But to think that's the way it's supposed to be and that doing it that way is how Scripture defines the constant for praise and worship. That's error. Total error. Now look over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there are some enemy armies that have, um, well, they've attacked Jewish people, or they're getting ready to attack. And King Jehoshaphat, He doesn't know what to do because he knows from a natural standpoint they really don't have an army big enough and weaponized enough to deal with this conglomeration of nations coming against them. So they go before God. The people come together. They're seeking God. They're praying and so forth. And there's a prophetic word. But we pick it up in verse 20. And it says, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa, And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established, believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Too many in the body of Christ do not believe the Lord their God. And therefore they're not established. You say, Well, I believe in God, I'm born again. That's not not what this is talking about. Believing Believing in the Lord your God means that you accept what he says as being the way it is. So, therefore, when it comes to the issue of praise and worship, if you believe in the Lord your God, then you see his standard is greater than what you feel like. And so you do it. Over the years, you know, I've been here since. Uh, February 21st, 1999. And there have been times that even up on the platform, members of the praise team have brought their feelings with them. And it's been demonstrated publicly. That's pathetic. It's sickening. It is a stench in the nostrils of God. And if, and if if you're a member of a praise team here or folks that you're watching, wherever you are, And that's how you are. You know what? You ought to have the integrity to step down until you can learn to control yourself. Because there's no place for that up here. Absolutely none. You are to be representing Jesus Christ. And that means you cast this stuff down. And if you happen to be a member of a praise team and you think he's talking about me, then you know what? I probably am. Even though I'm not, I I probably am. Because if that's how it's impacting you, then you know you're guilty. Those of you watching this, wondering, how does he know that's me? Well, I don't. (laughs) But if the shoe fits, you know how it goes. And so, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord And that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten, defeated, destroyed. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, every one of them helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches and the dead bodies and precious uh, riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which when they stripped off of themselves more than they could carry away, and they were three days in gathering of the spoil, it was so much. And on the fourth day, as they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord, therefore the name of the same place was called the valley of Barakah unto this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem at Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies, and they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. We've read this many times. We've looked at this many times over the year. But you'll notice they worshipped before and after the victory. Which means their focus was on God the entire time. And it was not until they began to praise and worship God, that God set ambushments against the enemy. Now, that being true, I want you to hear this. There are some of you listening right now. The enemy has come against you. And if you do not praise and worship God, you will not see the victory. It's so interesting how A lot of Christians want to talk about, Jesus has given us the victory. Yes. But if you do not exercise that victory, you do not see it. And I'm just telling you right now, those listening here, those watching, and I'm not saying this applies to every single person, but there are things you need to deal with in your life. And I'm telling you right now, praise and worship is the key to seeing the victory in those areas. And it doesn't matter what you think. See, a lot of folks, don't Christians, don't seem to understand that throughout the Old Testament, these are types and shadows for the church today. And what we see here, these folks, they were praising and they were worshiping God. And then, when the battle was won in a way that they did not expect it to be won. God set ambushments against the enemy. And the enemy, the soldiers turned on themselves. And when Israel shows up, when the Jews showed up, man, it was it. The victory was there. Not only that, but all of the wealth. All the wealth they took for themselves. How much of what God has promised us is out there waiting for us to take possession. But if we do not praise and worship God, it won't happen. There are people who should be here in this room right now, and they're not, and the reason is because they have lost focus on what God is wanting to do in their lives. I'm not trying to be critical, but look, folks, we're headed into areas where few churches have ever been. We're headed into realms of the Spirit, if you want to say it, however you want to describe it. We're headed where few churches have ever been. Ever. And we must understand that there are keys, there are revelations in Scripture letting us know what it's going to take to win, And I'm telling you right now, there are some of you, you have struggled far too much with attacks in your life. And if you just learn to praise, no, you know how. If you've been here at this church long enough, you know how. You don't, there's no learning. There is applying what's been learned. If you will simply do what you know to do, I'm telling you what, <laughs> a lot of the worry and the stress and the junk that you've gone through, it, it ends. It ends. These people, when this do you realize that when this battle was over, never again did they ever face any of those soldiers? Now, I know there were other armies in the future that came against Israel, but you need to understand, every single one of these soldiers, I don't know how many thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands there were, not one of them ever again raised a sword against the Jewish people. Not one. And these people, they had all these blessings. But you'll notice that after they, after they took the blessings, first thing they did was go back, verse 28, to the house of the Lord. And I'll guarantee you this, that wasn't all of them could fit in it. They went back to the place of victory. Yes, and they worshiped God again. Instead of sitting around and counting their blessings, the silver, the gold, the jewels, whatever, they praised God who delivered them. Now look over in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, and there were others besides Paul and Silas traveling with them, but Paul and Silas they're ministering, and Won't go into all the the story, won't read all of it, but what they did, it upset a lot of the people there. And you pick it up in, um, well, let's pick it up in verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. This didn't happen until they began to praise the Lord, until they began to worship God. Now, you take a look at this. I have no idea how many prisoners were locked up in this prison. 10, 20, 50? I don't know. What had they done? Thieves? Were there any murderers? Any rapists? Any whatever? I don't know. I don't know. But it says here, that everyone's doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Everyone. Paul and Silas began to praise God. They began to worship Him. And the other prisoners heard them. You know what that means? It means it wasn't this silent worship that so many Christians think is effective. Well, I worship God in my way. <laughs> rewriting scripture, are we? Do you not understand the method, the style, the instruction, the manual on how to worship? It's in the Bible. It's in here. So if you're not doing it the way the Bible describes it, guess what you're not doing? You're not doing it the way that God says, okay, now I'm going to tell you what's most most effective. Here you go. Read this. You'll figure it out. And yet you've got Christians today They'll acknowledge what's in Scripture, but they won't apply it. Paul and Silas were praising and worshiping God. They did not know that there was going to be a shaking and the doors opened, the shackles loose. They didn't know that. They're, they're, as far as I know, the next day they're going to go on trial and who knows what's going to happen. Even though Paul knew that at this time, you could, look, I'm not going to die. I'm here for a reason. I understand that. They're not going to kill me. Something good's going to happen. Don't know what But you know what? In the meantime, God, I praise you. God, I praise you. See, when you praise God, there is a victory about to be released. But you've got to do it. Now notice, it wasn't just that Paul and Silas had their prison door open and their shackles uh, released. Everybody. So let me ask you this. How many of you here, listening, watching, how many of you have family members that are shackled by something and you just sit around and worry about it and complain about it and cry about it and fuss about it? God, when are you going to move? I don't know what's wrong with these kids. I don't know what's wrong with my wife. What's wrong with my husband? I don't know what's wrong. That's what you do. Have you considered that if you were to open your mouth, and begin to praise God, your praise could have an impact on that which is shackling a family member. Have you considered that? No, some of you haven't. Because you see the flesh, the emotions, there's a comfort zone in complaining. And we've all been there. It's weird. It's like we get this this emotional fix by complaining, and we feel like we've done something. Yeah, you made it worse for you and you haven't helped the person. Here what we see this is a message for the church. If you'll open your mouth and worship God, things are going to change. They didn't know exactly how things were going to change. They didn't know. all they knew was I'm praising God because he's worthy of it. And then all of a sudden Earthquake. Everybody set free. They didn't know that was coming. How much deliverance have we not experienced because we just have not worshipped God? And see, when you come here to this place, and for those of you watching, I don't know about your church, but when you come to this place, do you not understand You have the freedom and the liberty to open your mouth and praise and worship the Lord. And we have too many people who come here who don't do that. You say, well, how do you know that? I mean, pastor, you stand up there at the front. You don't turn around and stare at everybody. Yeah, for good reason. I don't turn around and stare at everybody because I don't want to be distracted by people who are too caught up in themselves and not in God. That's why I stand up here and I worship. And this may sound really weird to you, but there are times when I can feel when people are not worshiping. I feel it. You're not doing it. Now, I know it doesn't apply to everybody. I get that. Here you have two people. They've had their clothes ripped off. They've been beaten. They've been whipped. They've been locked in jail. And yet, they're in a mood to praise the Lord. So now, what's your problem? Well, the dog stained the carpet. Get rid of the dog. There's nothing in Scripture about having a pet. (laughs) Now, I know that sounds cruel. But, if your pet is a hindrance in any way to your walk with God, get rid of it. That's cruel. I'll find another church. There are churches that let people bring their pets to church. Don't even think you can pray that in here. No. It's not going to happen. Look over in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, now there's a whole lot going on. We're just not going to read through all of this. We're just going to hit some highlights Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Chapter 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, Heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Chapter nine Verse or Chapter seven. Verse nine. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb and clothed Uh, they were clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders. And the four beasts fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Now stop right there. Remember when I I shared earlier how that In Scripture, you have instructions and guidelines on how to worship God. Are you catching on what we're seeing here? Now, look over in chapter 11. In chapter 11, verse 16, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was, and art to come because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Chapter fifteen, verse two. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, and stand uh, and stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sang. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord, God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Chapter 19, verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Verse 4. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen! Alleluia! And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now turn over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. You know, I find it interesting how that apparently in heaven, nobody seems to have any reservations about worshiping God with their voice. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says, but the hour cometh and now is. You realize we are living in that hour. When the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now keep your finger here, but turn back over to Psalm 22. And in Psalm chapter 22, look at verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now I've shared on this before how that the image here is that when people begin to praise God that God inhabits those praises and the imagery is that and again this this is the the exact Hebrew definition this is the image it paints that he stands up on his throne and he takes his throne and he comes down to the place where the people are worshipping and he sets his throne down and he sits in, in the midst of that praise and worship and he brings with him everything that he has everything healing, deliverance, it doesn't matter. Everything that he has, everything that he is, is there in that place at that time. And you think this is strictly for Old Testament people? Really? You don't think he would do that for people who are washed in the blood of his son Jesus? Seriously? No. If this is a declaration that he would do that back then, I guarantee you, he will do it today. Now look over in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 9 After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. what did we see in the book of Revelation? All that praise and worship. And we can only imagine what that would have looked like. You know, people bowing down, people raising their hands, I mean, whatever. But we see the praise and worship taking place. And here we see, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth, as it is in heaven. Now, if the praise and worship we just read in the book of Revelation was not the will of God, guess what would not be happening in heaven? However, because it's happening in heaven, it obviously is the will of God. And He gives His full approval. So therefore, when we see this, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, that means God's will is for His people to worship Him. And those people in heaven open their mouths, and they let it flow. What's supposed to be happening here on earth? That we open our mouths, and we let it flow. And there are people, even in this congregation, who won't do that. Or else, they do it in a very limited basis. See, a lot of folk, Christians, we talk about, well, I don't know what God's will is. Okay, well, that's not too difficult, because... If you want to know what God's will is for you specifically, one of the best things to do is to start off by finding out what His will is for the body of Christ. It's right in here. And therefore, one aspect of His will is that for those that worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, regardless of what you feel like. And, and I know that there are many times when people come in here, and this is any church, people come in and they, um, you know, their, their feelings dictate their worship. Their feelings, what they've been through, control what they do in the presence of God. Now, if God inhabits our praises, and let's say that out of all the people that are here, like 95% are worshiping, and you represent the 5% that really aren't into it because you've just, you just been having a rough week or a rough day. Things didn't go right this morning. If, if God inhabits, then what that means is, He's here, He's on His throne, and it's like you're looking at Him and saying, I'm sorry, I really don't feel like doing this. Oh, I know, I know. You let your son Jesus shed his blood, die, and everything. I get that. Okay? And, and I thank you for, for my salvation. But quite frankly, I don't feel like worshiping you. I'm just not in the mood. I mean, if you knew what I've been through this week, if you knew the way the kids have been acting, if you knew what happened with the car, if you knew blah, 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 that, that's what you're saying to God, that he's... That your circumstances and what you've been through are more worthy of your attention than he is. But God, thank you for grace. (laughs) Thank you for mercy. His will is to worship. Now see, what we've read in Scripture, and there's so much more we could read, we've read examples of how God moved in response to praise and worship. He moved in response to it. It's like the praise and worship opened an avenue for him to move. And he did. Incredible victories, blessings, deliverance. Even people that maybe didn't even believe in God got delivered because someone who did believe in him worshipped. Then we see in heaven, it's like an ongoing worship service. And no reservations. And if you think, well, you know, when I get there to heaven, then, you know, it'll be different. Well, you know what? Yeah, it probably will. And one of the things that's going to be different, right? You can write this down. This is a yay, thus saith the Lord. One of the things that's going to happen, if you aren't worshiping now, and you, and you have that, whatever you wanted to call it, but you don't really get into it now, when you get up there, you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be crying tears of regret because you're suddenly going to realize how much you missed here on earth. Because every promise that God has ever made relative to praise and worship, it is alive now. Right now. And it's waiting. You do not get it unless you praise and worship. Just like you don't get the benefits of praying in the Spirit unless you pray in the Spirit. You do not get the benefits of, praying and, uh, of worshiping if you don't worship. Now, last Sunday, in fact, why don't you go ahead and turn over to to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Last Sunday we had a, a really unique time of worship during the Sunday morning service. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was in order. But what we found out is that, well, let me back up a little bit as we are streaming our services, we can see how many computers are logged on. Now, now we don't know where all the people are. In other words, we don't know if it's your house or that person's house. Okay, we don't know that. But we can see how many computers are logged on. That means how many people are watching. And during that time of worship last week, one after another shut down. People left the service. And it happened because of the praise and worship. Those of you watching, if that's you, you should be ashamed of yourself. And this message is for you. Because if you don't know to, listen to me, if you don't know how to worship God, if you refuse to worship God, whether you're watching or you're in here, there's no way you're truly going to understand the love of God. You may be born again and all make it go into your head over heaven, but there's no way you're ever going to really understand the love of God if you do not worship Him. So if you want to get mad and shut your computer off now, go ahead. Find a church that will scratch your itching ears. I'm not going to be offended because I know this. The more Jesus said the gospel, another way to say that would be truth, will be an offense to many people. Now, Some of those people, if if I remember this correctly, it's like the computers turned back on when they thought the praise and worship time was over. Now these are the statistics that show up. So they shut down during the praise and worship. Then they figure, okay, well, it's probably over by now, and boom, they log back on. This does not happen every week. It happened last week. This should tell you a lot about what's going on in the body of Christ. You're going to get more out of praise and worship than you will from a sermon. Because as I've shared many times, a sermon is information about God, but worship is interaction with God. You can receive more from Him through your praise and worship. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 14... Look in verse 49. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ishii and Melcheshua, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn, Mirab, and the name of the younger, Michal, or Michael, depending upon whose reference material you read. Those are his children. Now look over in First uh, Samuel chapter 18. In First Samuel chapter 18, verse 20. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Well, things worked out to where um, Saul gave Michael to David to be his wife. And then in, um, in another place, Saul was trying to kill David. Michael helped him escape and so forth. But we jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, the Philistines had gone, well, the, the Philistines had actually captured the, uh, the ark in a battle, a previous battle many, many years ago. And David defeated the Philistines and he wants to bring the ark back into the area of Jerusalem. So we jump into, we pick the story up in chapter 12. Well, in fact, I'll tell you what, back up verse 11. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, we're not going to go back and read all of how did it end up in Obed-Edom's house. You can read that um, in the previous verses in chapter 6. But verse 12, It was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because the ark of God. So David... Went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now, in verse 13 it says, And so, and so, and it was so that when they, bear, they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Now, stop right there. Um, it was roughly about uh, six miles or ten kilometers from the area where Obed Edom lived and where David was taking the ark. Now, for them to do this, the ark had to be supported on poles. We can go back and read about this in, in Exodus. The ark had to be support, supported on poles, and he had, um, you know, a person on each corner of one of these poles, holding the pole, and that's how it had to be carried. They couldn't touch it, and so forth. And so, uh, and this was the ark was heavy, okay, covered with gold and so forth. So anyway, it says basically what they've done, they've taken the poles, they've put it into the ringlets there on the ark, they've picked it up, and they're starting to carry it. And it says, and so, uh, that when they had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. So they take six steps, and now he starts sacrificing, you know, these animals unto God. Now, you have to understand, when you're traveling about six miles, ten kilometers From point A to point B, carrying this, all right, you know, it's gonna be a bit of a challenge. You're you're on foot here. And so, yeah, you're probably going to get a little tired, your shoulder might get tired, arms might get tired, but you know, you keep going, there might be, you know, ditches in the road and and so forth, because it wasn't paved. So what I'm getting at is it was not the easiest of tasks to walk six miles carrying this thing. Carrying the ark. And then all the people are there with him and so forth. All right, now we pick it up, verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So in other words, um, it's almost like he took his royal robes off and so forth, and and he's wearing his underwear. I mean, that's not exactly the best way to describe it, but that's kind of the way it would um, appear. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So there's a lot of people here. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Now this was before Solomon had built the uh, temple. So David has this special tabernacle built for the ark. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone, a cake of bread, and a good piece of flesh, meaning, you know, meat, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How, I want you, please hear the extreme sarcasm in her voice. How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father, and before all his house to appoint me ruler of the people of the Lord over Israel, therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight, and of the maid servants, which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michael the daughter of Saul had no child unto the day of her death. Now when he says, you know, I'll be more vile and base in mine own sight and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of. Of them shall I be had in honor. In other words, he's saying, when they see me doing this, they're not going to ridicule me. What they're going to do is they're going to esteem me as being willing to worship God. Not because I'm the king, but because God is the one who has his hand on me. Now, we had this this wonderful service this past Sunday, Sunday morning. And then on Monday, the Lord began to minister to me about this. And when he did, I, I could see this story in the Bible. And he began to use it to give me examples of how this applies to the church today. The ark, as you know, it represents the presence, the power, the glory of God. I mean, we know that just from what we've read in the Old Testament. And so that represents the presence, the power, and the glory of God. Now, he shared with me how that them bringing the ark into the tabernacle represents a congregation doing what is necessary to usher in God's presence filling a church, and revival breaking out. In other words, the glory of God is there. But most churches aren't doing what needs to be done to bring the glory in the house. And he was saying this, what they did, the effort that they had to put forth, this represents a congregation doing whatever it takes to get the glory of God to fill the house and see an outbreak of revival. And carrying the ark, those six miles, and if you look in verse 13, it says that after they had gone six paces, that they sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And then in verse 14, it says that David was girded with a linen ephod as he was worshiping the Lord. He said, what this represents is the people being willing to mortify the flesh so that self and what they see of themselves. David was the king, but he had to take off his kingly robes. In other words, he had to take off what he thought of himself, if you will, to become humble before the Lord. In other words, I hold nothing back of myself, God. What I feel, how I see myself, and how others might see me, it doesn't matter. What matters is I'm before you. And if other people don't like it, they don't like it. But I am standing before you, not as a this, not as a that, but as somebody who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody who has your hand upon their life. And if others don't like the way I appear before them, if others don't like the sound of my voice, if others don't like because I've got my hands raised, if others don't like because I get a little excited about my salvation, I don't care. I don't care. Because God, right now, this is about you and me. And he said, this is the way it has to be, not just for the individual, but for a congregation. If you're going to bring the glory of God into the church. And we're in in verses 14 and 15, it talks about that David danced before the Lord with all his mind. And in verse 15, it said, David and the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord, shouting. And with the sound of a trumpet, God said, this represents an entire congregation worshiping him the entire congregation forgetting about themselves and worshiping him and there are some folks who attend this church and there some people they're not here i'm not even going to right now this is not appropriate for me to get into the reasons why they're not here but in some cases let's just say i have a pretty good idea they're weak and you're afraid of what people are going to see, think, and say about you. You've esteemed your thoughts, your ideas, your whatever to be greater than that of God himself. And you think God is going to move unhindered in your life? Now you're grossly mistaken. And there are those who attend on a regular basis. There is there's so much going on, and you'll understand this in just a moment. Their, their worship is restrained. Because see, the moment you get born again, the worship is birthed into you with that new nature. Otherwise, you couldn't worship God in spirit and in truth. But the very fact that you're born again means you can do it if you want. And in verse 18 and 19, the ark has been brought in. The glory, again, symbolism, the glory of God has filled the church. The ark has been brought in. The people have paid the price In the heat of the day, they've they've walked the extra mile. They've done what was necessary, and they were together to do it. So now the ark is in the house, and the glory of God is filling the place. And it says in verse 18 that at the end of the offering, the the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, that he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, and he dealt among all the people, all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, men and women, A cake of bread. Meat. A flagon of wine. And God said what this represents is that when you bring the ark of God in and your praise and worship and your mortification of the flesh and all this, when you have done all of that to bring the glory of God in, one of the results is going to be that the the, the blessings and the promises of God are going to begin to flow in the midst of the congregation and not one person will be left out you will be blessed. It will unlock promises and blessings that have been held back because of a lack of the praise and the worship. And God is saying, it's ready to be released now. And not just because you get motivated to worship in one service. No, a lifestyle. A lifestyle of praise and worship. A lifestyle of uninhibited let my spirit free to worship my God and my Savior. But you'll notice in verse sixteen that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. That word despised it's an entry I didn't write down the, the Hebrew word, but what it what it's talking about is I disagree with this. I don't appreciate this. I don't like the way this looks. People are going to notice you doing that. I feel embarrassed that you would do this. That's what that word despised means. And then, in verse, if you pick it up, again in verse 20, David returned to bless his household. And Michael... She comes out to meet David. And then she begins this sarcastic, Oh, wasn't that great? The whole world could see you. You should have been ashamed of yourself. You're who you are. You're the king. You're this. You're the whatever. She begins criticizing him. And she tries to control him. And in essence, shut his worship down. And he says, hey, you're not going to control me. You know what? If you think that was bad, hang around. Because I am going to worship my God. He called me. He didn't call you. He called me. And I am going to praise him and I'm going to worship him. All these people that you think are criticizing? (laughs) No. They're not going to criticize because the end result of my praise and worship is going to mean they're going to see a move of God and then they're going to appreciate the fact that I would worship my God and not be concerned about what other people think. And here's what God was sharing with me. The Michael she criticized because she didn't capture the vision Of what was happening and the reason for the praise and worship. Why wasn't she out there with the people helping to bring the ark in? Everybody else was there. Why wasn't she there? She knew what was going on. But she didn't want to participate. It was an inconvenience to her. And as a result, it says she was barren until the day she died. And the Lord was sharing it with me. He said, Michael represents the flesh that criticizes and restrains the new nature from worshiping. David represents the new nature. Michael's barrenness represents the absence of God's presence, power, and blessings in the lives of believers who refuse to worship. And I'm telling you now, this is you, you can disagree if you want to, but I'm telling you, thus saith the Lord, if you are not a worshiper, every blessing... That is guaranteed through the praise and worship. You will never see it in your life. There are healings that can manifest in people's bodies simply because they praise and worship God. How many healings have many Christians not seen manifest? How many healings have Christians needed? How many Christians have died because they simply would not praise and worship God? They yielded to the spirit of Michael. Do you understand what I mean? And he continued, and he said, too many Christians are yielding to the spirit of Michael and allowing it to dictate to their new nature what will and will not be done during worship. How many people, there are people, let me just say it like this, the spirit of Michael is impacting people who attend this church more so than what they'd like to admit. If you're not a worshiper, if you don't engage, if you just sit, and you just, you just you're here, You know what? How can you say you're worshiping? Not when we see how worship is described in the Word of God. You have to mortify Michael so the worship will come forth. And David, you can read about Michael beyond this, but her life wasn't the best from this point on. And she was barren. How many Christians are living barren lives because they will not worship. And because they allow their flesh to control them. Oh, you, you don't need to worry. No, I, I, feel, I feel, you know, I don't like to work, you know, my hands lifting. And, uh, you know, people will see me and I don't really, all this free worship stuff. Hallelujah, Jesus. I worship you, I glorify your name. cola People might hear me, I don't know. Michael is controlling your life. And you say, Well, Brother Martin, you're being harsh. No, what I'm saying is this worship is critical to revival. And I'm telling you right now, you will never have the kind of revival that God wants if you don't worship. It's one of the one of the the key indicators of a revival that will be sustained is worship. It is a key element to victory, blessings, and revival. I want to read to you a prophecy. If you if you received the prophecies by email that I send out each week, this was one that you received. The Lord said, if you could see into the realm of the spirit and see what I see when you worship me, you would worship me. You would worship me more than you do now. If you could see what happens when you begin to pour your heart out unto me in praise and worship, you would be excited about your praise and worship you would be excited about the opportunities to worship me. If you could see what's happening in spiritual warfare when you praise me and worship me, you would look forward to the opportunity to worship me and to praise me. Please believe me when I tell you that you are attacking the enemy through your praise and worship. Please believe me when I tell you that your praise and worship establish, as it were, a cloud of my glory in your presence. It is my glory which brings about confusion in the camp of the enemy. Therefore, when you praise me and you worship me, you must believe me when I tell you that you are working confusion in the camp of the enemy. Oh, if you could see in the realm of the Spirit what I see when you praise me and when you worship me. So again, please believe me when I tell you, pour your heart out, worship me. Remember what I said. That God is a spirit and he seeks those to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for people who will do that. So worship me and praise me with all your heart. Focus on me and work a work in your own life through your praise and worship that will not only bring about a greater manifestation of my presence, but it will also help you to break free of the attacks of the enemy. Praise God now the praise team is going to come back up and we're going to have a time of praise and worship this is an opportunity for those of you who have found praise and worship to be a challenge for you to break out of that shell one of the things the Lord showed me during the praise and worship right before I came up was that some of you it's like there is this call it a clear membrane. And it's thinner and thinner, and you are about to break through relative to your praise and worship. That you're very, very close to breaking through to another dimension of praise and worship, if you will. But if you don't do this, you won't complete that journey. You have to press on through. Now, we, we have uh, their parents here, and there are some watching this. Parents, you need to talk to your kids about this. And you, you, need to let, you need to talk to your children about being participants versus observers. Because what the Lord shared today in this, it's true for the kids as well. Train up a child in the way it should go. If, if you have children that aren't worshipers, you need to bring correction to that situation. And you need to let them know this is something that God expects. And if you want to be in God's will, it's something that needs to be done. Some people might say, well, this is just, you know, Pastor Jim, he's trying to control our lives. No. I've pointed out to you in the Word of God what He has said about this. I've given you examples of what happens when we worship. But along with that, I've shared with you how this story of Michael, God is using it to illustrate to us We need to worship. And that we need to mortify that spirit of Michael that would want to hold us back. Not everybody is going to to shout. Everybody's different. I get that. But when it comes to worshiping God, that's something we can all do. And so now, we're just going to enter into this time of of worship as, as the Spirit leads the songs and whatever. And I'm encouraging those of you who are here and those of you who are home Join in with this and not let this be just a one-time event, but let this be something that takes place every time you come here. And then along with that, when you're at home, worship the Lord. God moves in response to our worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord says, you have given me what I needed today to work in your midst as I had planned. And I would say unto you, even though you may not feel anything, I would have you know, for for those of you who were worshiping, truly worshiping me, change has taken place. The change has taken place inside you. If you will continue to make this a priority when you come together in this place, in my presence, more and more change will take place. I'm calling you as a congregation To this special place of intimacy. Prepare yourselves now. For in the days to come, I will want more times like this from you. For you see, you need to praise and worship me more than you truly realize. I say to you, you will experience an incredible outpouring of my spirit if you will do this. Do not force it. Do not try to make it happen. Just let your praise and worship flow from your spirit. You do that, and I will do the rest. I will manifest myself in your presence in a great way. Do not predetermine in your mind what will happen. Your responsibility is to praise and to worship. I then respond and move according to the way that I desire at that particular time. Do not allow your emotions to continue to control you and your praise and worship. Continue to press beyond that. I tell you, as I have guaranteed in my word, I will inhabit your worship, I will inhabit your praise through your praise and through your worship you will begin to create a tangible presence of my glory the atmosphere in this place will change it will be filled with more and more of me so much so that some people entering into this room after the service has begun, will feel as though they have walked into a cloud, a fog, a presence, that is my glory. They will know, there is something happening in this place. Even the lost will feel it. I say to you, Focus on me, and let me do the rest. You desire to see signs and wonders, miracles, healings. All of these things are possible. But you must maintain your focus on me. For it is my power which causes those things to happen. And as you dwell in my presence, it is so much easier for my power to flow. If you'll do this and continue to do it and continue to flow with my spirit in each service, regardless of what direction I lead, you will continue to grow not simply as a congregation, but also individually, if you carry this with you, this attitude of worship, and utilize it away from this place, you will continue to sense my presence in a very strong way. You see, my desire is to use all of you in demonstrations of my power. And there is a pattern in my word. A pattern of my power being released when people worship me. So again I say, continue this. Do not force it. Just press into me and follow me in the flow that I lead in each service. I am well pleased with what you have done here in this place this day. And I am blessing your life. So seek me and you will know me. And you will encounter me. And you will experience a level of my presence and my glory that is beyond anything you have ever known in your lives. Thank you, Lord. Father, what we're feeling right now, your presence is so wonderful and so beautiful. And it's almost like you're letting us know here in this place what we can experience even in our own homes, in our cars, Father, away from here. Father, my prayer is that what's happened here today will make a lasting impression upon all of us. And that, Father, we will be different from this day forward. And that, Father, when we come together, we will release the praise and worship out of our spirits the way that You desire we won't come together to put on a show. But We'll just come together to worship our Lord and Savior. Bless your name.